0: After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby! Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please
1: moving. please moving. play oh, the you're not oh, see i got to this made a mistake. I think I'm bang on there. And okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch your hair. Good checking, guys. And good
0: play. This is such a busy time of the year. I always lose track of what day of the week it is, Josh, but I'm I'm instantly rebounded into reality because it's time to record another Scouting the Rest podcast.
1: Yeah, it, it makes me click into what's going on in the schedule, what happened, has it already been a week since the last show? And holy cow, look at all the stuff that's gone on. It has been a week
0: and we will get to all of it on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. As always, it is brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings available for you with our partnership with Manscaped. If you go to the website, manscaped.com, use the code REFS, R-E-F-S. When you make your order, you get 20% off and you get free shipping. It is a fun time of the year. Festive season is a, a bit different, of course, this year. We hope you're, you're healthy and, and happy and being safe. There's all kinds of great traditions, of course, to enjoy. One of the most important items to take care of, though, is trimming the tree. There is a wide variation on how and when to trim the tree. Some think it should wait until the big day or the night before. Others like to take care of that important job a little sooner whichever mode you choose. Make sure you have the right tools to trim the tree. That is very important, and that is why we can't recommend strongly enough that you go to manscaped.com and check out the great Trim the Tree products. Of course, it all begins with the Lawnmower 4.0. Super sharp, super fast, super safe. It's the full package. Uh, see what I did there? See what I did there? The uh, the lawnmower 4.0 makes things easy. Whether you want to keep the tree looking a little more natural or if you prefer to trim super close, it gets the job done. Check out the full line of Manscaped products, the Weed Whacker and, and other important products as well. Josh, it's important to keep the tidyings of comfort and joy to ensure
1: a festive holiday season for everyone. Absolutely. And whether the kit ends up as a gift under the tree for someone else or whether it's a gift for yourself that you can then share the results with others either way it's a wonderful gift and a a nice present around the holidays more than four million men worldwide can't be wrong go
0: to manscaped.com use our code refs for your purchase get 20 percent off get free delivery. We remind you again of our social channels to follow. For Josh, it's at ScoutingTheRefs on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, the ScoutingTheRefs.com website. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. Okay, on this week's episode, it wasn't ruled a goal, but it should have been. Felino squirts Lemieux, COVID impacts officials too, early parole for Spezza, and checking the challenge tracker. It has been a busy week, hasn't it, Josh?
1: It has. Lots of things to track there, lots of things to review. And when we have reviews of the reviews and apologies for those reviews, you know it's getting a little hectic. <laughs> it is. OK, it's been a, it's been a tough week for the NHL
0: dealing with a, a number of positive COVID tests and dozens of players and coaches and team personnel that are being put into the league's COVID protocol. Again, we, we hope that you are healthy and safe and and doing all that you can to to protect yourself and your loved ones. This is COVID situation is, of course, affecting officials, too. In fact, this past week, referee Brian Pacmara had an abbreviated night in the game Tuesday involving the Rangers and the Avs. Pacmara wasn't there at the start of the game because he was awaiting COVID test results. Fortunately, came back fine. He got into the game, but... There, there really hasn't been much made of the officials dealing with this. We hear about coaches, we hear about players, but the officials have to also navigate travel on commercial flights, not charters, the way teams do. There are far more possibilities for public interaction than with team personnel. So let's give some props to the officials for working through this challenging season.
1: Absolutely. Like you mentioned, Todd, the travel is always harder than it is for the teams because these guys are independent. You know, they're going from game to game themselves. They're not traveling as a crew. They're not traveling on team charters, things like that. So it's it's a lot more challenging and, and kudos to these guys for staying safe, for staying healthy, for doing what they can. But with everything going on in the league, taking no chances and just making sure that everyone's following the guidelines, that everyone's safe before they hit the ice. We should do a little
0: injury update as well because there have been a number of officials injured already this season and Michael Markovit is the latest referee to be out of action. San Jose Sharks... Player Mario Ferraro in a game versus Calgary launched a shot on a clearing attempt. The puck struck Markovit in the mouth. He went down, received attention, and apparently has been diagnosed with a broken jaw. He's going to be out for a while. This has been a tough season for officials, Josh.
1: It, it has. I mean, typically they they get their share of bumps and bruises, and you have guys that are in and out of the lineup, and, and they've got enough Officials in the rotation to kind of weather that storm and and distribute it around and and share the games. But holy cow, we've we've had some rough ones and uh, Markovic obviously going to miss some time with the broken jaw. We've still got Mark Jeanette out with a broken leg, tripped up during Wings Bruins on November 30th. Uh, Nice though that we we have seen Andrew Smith return to action so that the linesman who was hit by a clearing attempt took a puck in the knee. He's back to action. So we've got guys coming back, but we've still got guys out and we have some who have yet to work a game this season that hopefully are on the mend and and will be making their return to the ice. And we're providing
0: specific information about injuries, too. Not just upper and lower body. You get the full Monty.
1: (laughs) It's as much as we can get, right? It's (laughs) not always the easiest thing to do. But, you know, certainly uh, it's funny. The league doesn't want to be specific there. And I think it's just force of habit because certainly you you don't think opposing players are going to be targeting a location on an official.
0: (laughs) You wouldn't think, would you? No, no. Uh, We should also mention this, the ruling just came down before we started recording this edition of the podcast. Jason Spezza is going to get early parole. He was initially suspended six games for the uh, kneeing incident versus the Winnipeg Jets and Neil Pionk. He appealed to the commissioner. The commissioner upholds the suspension, but reduces the length to four games. So Spezza will get back in action right away. I guess eventually we got to the right ruling. I thought six games was a bit high for this infraction.
1: Yeah, I, I thought five was the sweet spot for me of, of where he would get. Four would have been fine, too. But it was interesting to see they went with six. And of course, that decision was made by the NHL's Department of Player Safety. Spezza then has the option to appeal, which he did to the commissioner. And if the commissioner opted to uphold it and maintain that suspension, then it would go to a neutral arbitrator to make that final decision. Now, certainly the timeline of this was that Spezza would have missed the six games before it made it to the arbitrator. So in this case, I guess for Spezza and team, it's the best possible outcome because he does get to return to the lineup. So he's already missed four of the games, but now he'll hit the ice again. He'll get back on the payroll to get the salary that he deserves for returning to action. And uh, interesting to read through the commissioner's decision and determination on on why he pulled back those two games to make it a four-game ban, which will have the complete description, all nine pages posted at scoutingtherefs.com. Nine pages
0: to reduce the suspension two games.
1: <laughs> it's, it's what it takes, right? These are lawyers. They get paid by the word.
0: Uh, Apparently they do. All right. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's powered by Manscaped. Special savings available for you at manscaped.com with our partnership. Use our code REFS, R-E-F-S. You get 20% off your order and you get free shipping. I want to mention that there was a game between the Devils and the Golden Knights this past week. It kind of wound up in what some would refer to as old time hockey. The Devils were down a couple of goals with less than half a minute remaining in the game. Lindy Ruff puts rugged defenseman Mason Geertsen on the ice. Only issue is Geertsen lines up as a forward and winds up trying to engage Alex Petrangelo, who just happened to level Jack Hughes with a big hit earlier in the game. It was a clean hit. The two wrestle a bit. Everybody pairs off. The officials separate. Everything seems to be settling down. That is until Robin Leonard takes a poke at one of the devils and off we go again. Leonard flips off the mask. He's ready to go. Geertsen is almost off the ice and he tries to get back into it, but they did get him onto the bench and things calmed down pretty quickly. So, not surprisingly to me, Geertsen, Petrangelo, and Leonard all got game misconducts. Those were the only penalties called because of this kerfuffle. It's a simple, effective tool for managing the situation and the reason I'm bringing up this game situation is because there are so often critics that say referees shouldn't manage the game they should just call penalties that suggestion is ludicrous in this situation they are managing the game toss the guys out that are stirring it up get the game over with let's move on and carry on with the rest of our lives
1: that's it and and sometimes you know getting each guy especially when you've got matching or offsetting penalties like this isn't really solving a whole lot they could have filled the penalty box they could have had representatives from both teams sitting in there for that 15 seconds to close out the game but the important part is delivering the message of you know sometimes a Wes McCauley's big on this we're gonna pick one guy from each team send them to Mm -hmm. the box maybe it evens out with everybody else but we're still sending the message and in this case it's these guys their night is over let's just finish this thing up and get out of here we don't need to get each and every penalty for, you know, and, and the officials have some leeway when it comes to roughing and fighting and things like that on what they want to assess. But ultimately, is this really going to affect the game in a positive way to catch each and every one and assess them all? Other than padding penalty minute totals, message delivered, you've got your misconduct, you're done for the night, let's drop the puck and finish up and, and everybody can go home.
0: Right. See, it's a simple outcome. But again, this is, I think, where the confusion comes in of, well, you you have to manage the game at times. And this is one of those circumstances that that really helps to illustrate this. And I I, I, I agree. It's like, so what if everybody got two minutes for erupting (laughs) as well? It doesn't matter. There's still, there's the potential for another eruption because they are going to have to exit the penalty box at some point. And you know that when they go to the penalty box and sit down for their two minutes or what's remaining in the game, they're probably not going to sit there quietly. There's probably going to be a little conversation back and forth.
1: Right. Of course, especially when you've got those boxes overflowing, there's not even enough room for guys to sit down. So they're standing up, jawing at each other, waiting for the 15 seconds to tick off. Nope. Right to the showers with these guys. And, and that meant we, we had a backup goalie come in for the final few seconds of play there. But uh, such is it when a goaltender gets a game misconduct penalty. Can't have somebody else serve that one. You've got to do it. So, uh, you know, Leonard saw that happen.
0: All right, let's get to something that's a little more traditional, if you will, in terms of an in-game situation. During the Chicago Blackhawks-Washington Capitals game this week, a goal in the final few seconds scored by the Capitals to tie things up at four was reviewed for offside. It was under a minute to play in the game, so this was initiated by Toronto. TJ Oshie was gathering up the puck and crossed the blue line and if you're watching or familiar with this game and situation, you know that the puck is behind him. And I mention this because sometimes we need a reminder that your feet can precede the puck across the blue line. But the key is you have to have control of the puck. And TJ Oshi was ruled to have control in this case. So the goal stood.
1: Right. And and that's one of those situations where, again, sometimes we forget a player can legally precede the puck into the zone. The catch and I think what they were really looking at with this video review there was no question that Oshie was ahead of the puck did he have possession did he have control and we've seen in the past where the puck deflecting off a player's stick might be deemed for possession as far as far as the rule book goes but maybe not control you know where's the puck going next is it staying on his stick is it in a spot where he's intending it to go or is it bouncing wildly into the corner and those all factor in to what happens on that play it's possession control that you have to have at the moment you're crossing the line with the puck. So in this case, a good review, a bit of a nail biter there to see if it was going to count, but it did. And I think it was the right call. I, I agree. And we'll get to
0: another offside, a delayed offside situation a little bit later in the podcast where, again, what happens next is kind of the important part of it as well. Ooh, a little tease. One of the duties performed by the linesman takes place after a goal is scored. Very few people understand or catch it. But we all see the celebration on the ice. The players huddle together. Then the skate past the bench for the high fives from the rest of the team. And if you watch closely, especially if you're at the game, you see one of the officials in between the benches or in proximity when this happens to make sure that nothing untoward takes place. Well, in a game this past week between the Kings and the Wild, Brendan Lemieux, just back from his biting suspension, scores a goal and then celebrated with his teammates, then went for the skate toward the King's bench. But along the way, he got a little close and had quite the chirping festival with the Minnesota Wild players on their bench. Marcus Foligno went a step further and squirted a water bottle at Lemieux. It was linesman Dan Kelly who was in front of Lemieux, kept him moving along, kept things under control. We have seen situations like this before, Josh, and players have received punishment. I'm curious as to why... Neither Felino, who just missed a 10-game suspension, or Lemieux, who's just back from a biting suspension, got penalized here. Well,
1: I, I think you could have maybe hit Lemieux for chirping, but it, it wasn't... I don't know what he said, but I doubt it was enough to deserve an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And, and certainly, if it were warranted, it it could be handed out. But the bigger concern to me, again, this isn't serious injury, but... Interaction from the players bench and it, it becomes a big deal because you don't want to let players who are on the bench influence the game on the ice or impact the players on the ice even though this wasn't a live puck situation those those kinds of interactions are the kinds of things that the league has historically come down on and I know squirting a water bottle not a big deal but we've seen guys get fined for it multiple times before. Even 10-minute misconducts for it, for unsportsmanlike, and followed up by a fine. So nothing in this case was a little surprising. If the on-ice officials didn't want to call it, fine. If they thought everything was diffused and there wasn't any value in it, it was a minor thing, or, or perhaps they missed the water bottle spray altogether. I'm surprised that player safety didn't step in and just issue that fine just to kind of remind everyone that you can't interact with guys from the bench, even if it is just a spray of water. Would that be like the Department of Player Safety managing the game? Managing it after the fact, but proactively, proactively managing the next game to say, guys, enough with the water bottle garbage. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) All
0: right. Uh, Let's go back to the super puzzling goal review that did take place. And it really isn't fair that the Buffalo Sabres, who are having such a struggle this season, were the victim of the league boo-boo here. Sabres were playing the Rangers down a goal late. They score what they believe is the tying goal in the final minute. It's, again, a situation room call that initiates a review for what may have been a missed offside call. Rasmus Dahlin inside the attacking zone. Victor Olison pushes the puck across the blue line, but upon further review, looks like he holds off on touching it in the zone until Dahlin is tagged up. The Situation Room ruled, however, that Olison played the puck and killed the goal. The next day, the league issued a statement saying the goal should have stood no video was available to clearly determine if Olison played the puck. So what should have happened is the original ruling on the ice, which would have made it a good goal in a 2-2 game and the Sabres wind up losing. What I'm curious about is how or why this breakdown took place and what, what really occurred as to why this, this situation was allowed to to go forward and the goal disallowed.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tough spot. I mean, It comes down to what's available in the video room for camera angles, for camera resolution, for pucks being obscured by other players. It looked like a pretty clear shot, but it was across the rink when you look at the blue line camera that the NHL uses. And I'm not aware of any overhead. If they had one, that would have been immensely helpful to see whether the puck was touched or not as it crossed the line. Because the puck was clearly across the line. Olofsson holds off on touching the puck. He's got a black stick blade with no tape on it, so we don't even have any contrast there to try to tell when the contact happened. And it's, it's such a minute thing. People get frustrated with offside calls being a matter of inches or millimeters on whether the puck crossed the line. Well, this is the same argument, but now it's between the stick and the puck. Did he make contact with the puck to touch it, or was it still a delayed offside? And that's a rule that we've seen the NHL interpret consistently, where the puck crosses, it's a delayed offside situation, and until the attacking player touches the puck, his teammates still have an opportunity to tag up before the whistle is blown. So we've seen that applied consistently. In this case, it was just difficult for them to really make that determination as to whether or not contact was made, and for them to come out after the fact and and say that it was inconclusive, I was a bit surprised to see that. I mean, I I don't know what angle was conclusive, but obviously at the time they felt strongly enough to say, hey, you know what, we're we're reviewing this one and and this is our our updated call. So it makes you wonder, Todd, what were they looking at or what was the determining factor to wave off the goal only to change their minds the next day and then to release the statement?
0: The system isn't perfect. And you mentioned you didn't see an overhead angle. Not every angle is available in every game. It depends on, you know, national games have more cameras available, so there's more angles in place. So there it's not a perfect system, I guess, is maybe sort of what I fall back on to. They do the best job they can with what they have available, and sometimes there is a definitive angle, sometimes there isn't, but the system from game to game, building to building is a little bit different as well and there are going to occasionally be mistakes made. And this is one of those instances.
1: Yep. And it was great to see the NHL come out and admit that. I think, you know, owning that, uh, taking ownership for the fact that there was an issue here, it's it's nice to see the league address the fact that, you know what, we made the wrong call. I'd love to see more of it because it does happen from time to time. And, and I don't think people would necessarily blame the NHL or the officials for those times when they happen. I think seeing that accountability or having them come out and say, all right, you know what? We didn't get this one right but we want to acknowledge it and we're going to move on. And, and maybe, Todd, when we get puck tracking in, we'll be able to know whether or not there was contact here. Aha.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Another argument for it. You're right. And, but I agree with you. The transparency would be uh, would be most helpful. Let's wrap up with something that you've obviously put a lot of work into. If you go to the ScoutingTheRefs.com website, you will see the challenge tracker that Josh has put together and the website has a lot of interesting info and there's few intriguing stats to me in this one Josh that you've put together. I can't believe that Columbus has had 5 goals disallowed on challenges. That seems like a lot to me.
1: It, it is, especially at this point in the season. You you figure they're on they're on pace for what? Uh, 12 goals being lost over the course of the year which is pretty unheard of. I'm amazed at at what's been going on there when it comes to goals that have been wiped out because of a coach's challenge for the Blue Jackets. Yeah, that one's.
0: in. Now, here's the other one. Goaltender interference. There have been 24 challenges as of December the 15th, when I last looked at the chart that was updated. 12 challenges have been upheld. Twelve challenges have been overturned, and I think that is absolutely the perfect metaphor for describing and figuring out the goaltender interference.
1: It's crazy to see it right down the middle. I think coaches have gotten a handle on offside and what to look for. And the video rooms have have really sharpened things up there. But when it comes to goaltender interference, so much that's open for interpretation. Who initiated the contact? Was there contact? Did it prevent the goaltender from playing their position? All those factors. There's just so many variables that go into a goaltender interference call that, yes, right now, it's effectively a coin toss. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS, that's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.